we're going to be reading tonight from John chapter 19. Um, It's a long section, but I wanted to just have it in front of us as we consider and think about what we're here to consider and think about. And we're not going to read the whole narrative, but just picking up kind of in the middle of the day for Jesus, it says, So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus, and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the skull, to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him, with, with him two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but rather the man said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to his disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her to his own home. After this... Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, To fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Since it was the day of preparation, so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, The Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus, saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced the side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw has borne witness, his testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth that you also may believe. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and he took his body. Nicodemus also, who had earlier come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 70 pounds 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus, bound it in linen cloths with spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb, in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Will you pray with me? Lord, this is your word, and by it, I, I, I know that you've promised that it won't return void and it'll do its work. And so even as we've prayed repeatedly tonight that you would work, 
whether we're considering the, the elements of the supper or singing the words of these songs that illuminate the truths of your scripture, or even now reading it, or even considering some of the implications of it, I pray, Father, that by your spirit you would be here now and work among us. I pray this in Jesus' name. So on the afternoon of that first Good Friday, Jesus gave up his spirit and he died. If you follow the timelines of the day, it would have been about three in the afternoon, but his day had begun early. At about 4 a.m., when most of us are not even wanting to be awake, I mean, maybe a few of us are, are, are beginning to stir, but at 4 a.m., between that time and about 6, he's being drugged to Annas and Caiaphas and falsely accused and put on trial by the Jewish religious leaders. At about 6, between 6 and 8, they, they bring him to Pilate. Pilate doesn't want to deal with it, so he sends him to Herod. Herod doesn't want to deal with it, so he sends him back to Pilate. Pilate's doing everything he can to get rid of the problem, but eventually the pressure's too great. And Pilate says, okay, well, you can crucify him. So between 8 and 9, approximately, Jesus carries his cross out of the city to a place called Golgotha. He's hung there on that cross between two criminals. Sometime between 9 and noon, his clothes are being divided. People are coming up and making fun of him. Even the criminals on either side are, are, are ridiculing him. At some point, one of them has a change of heart and realizes, wait, what's going on? This man is not who I thought he was. At least that seems to be the perspective as you put all the, all the stories together. And he begins to defend Jesus and say, hey, we're here because we deserve it. He doesn't. But about noon, Mark tells us it was the sixth hour until the ninth hour, so about noon, darkness falls. Some have tried to explain it away as an eclipse. It was the wrong time of, of, of month for that. It was the Passover, so it wasn't, there was no way scientifically that a, a moon is going to cause, cause an, eclipse during, an eclipse during that time. Something happened and it goes dark. And it was dark for about three hours and there were earthquake, earthquakes and near the end of it the temple curtain is torn and at the point of Jesus' death bodies are, 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 people are raised up out of the grave and, and seen walking around, dead, dead people seen walking around in the city uh, alive. That's shocking. But Jesus dies. In an act of mercy, when you think about it, it's kind of shocking that it's an act of mercy. But in an act of mercy, they, the religious leaders need to clear the, the crosses because it's a Sabbath day coming on them and a special one at that. So they want to break the legs of the people hanging on the cross so they can no longer press up and, and take air and, and, and they'll die more quickly. But when they get to Jesus, they find he's already dead. And sometime after 3 o'clock, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus come and they take his body down and they bring it and place it in a grave that nobody had ever been laid in. And the cross was left empty. And nearly every, every week, nearly every week on Sunday morning, we gather and we remember this. In some way, in some fashion, it's referred to. In some part of the story, 
We talk about it. We think about it. We focus on it. We remember it. We remind ourselves of this time every Nearly every year since we've been a church, we have had a Good Friday service and we've gathered to remind ourselves and rehearse again the story of the crucifixion and the, and the price that was paid for our sin. But in all this remembering and rehearsing, we never have to repeat it. Just think about that. We never have to repeat it. This morning at 4 o'clock, Jesus was not being hoisted or, or, or being run to the religious leaders. He wasn't being arrested and drugged in front of the religious leaders. Between 6 and 8, he was not being handed off to Pilate, Pilate to Herod, Herod to Pilate, and then eventually to be crucified. He wasn't carrying a cross out of Jerusalem, and, he, and, he, and at nine, around 9 this morning, he was not hung on a cross. And that may seem like, oh, that doesn't seem like that big of a deal. Why are you making such a big deal out of it? The the, the cross is empty. It was left empty that day. It's empty even now. The the morning Jesus, he he finished the work that he started that morning. At At the end of the day, on that first Good Friday, the cross was empty because the purpose for which the cross was necessary had been accomplished. The cross is empty and remains so because Jesus is one Sacrificial death is completely sufficient. Completely sufficient. He doesn't need to endlessly hang on the cross. He doesn't need to endlessly endure God's wrath. He doesn't need to endlessly pay for the sin imputed to him because in this one, death is completely sufficient. It's sufficient to atone for all... Or I'm sorry, it's sufficient getting ahead of myself sufficient to end his suffering for sin I don't like to think about it I doubt that you want to consider it all that often but God's wrath is real and our sin deserves his condemnation and judgment we deserve nothing good from him sin was always going to result in suffering And for Jesus to do the work that he came to do, he had to suffer. But this one act was sufficient to end the suffering for his sin. He is the perfect Savior. He never sinned. In in Mark 1, a a demon-possessed man identifies Jesus as the the Holy One of God. In in John 6, after most of Jesus' followers have abandoned him because his teaching is too too hard for them to, to follow, too hard for them to adhere to, Peter, on behalf of the other disciples that stay, confess, you are the Holy One of God. The author of Hebrews tells us that he endured all the temptations that we've endured, that there's all, everything that we've endured, every type of temptation we've endured, he's endured it, yet without sin. The point is that he, by nature, is holy and righteous. He's pure. He's sinless. This is not imputed to him. It's not something that had to be given to him. This is him by nature. Holiness and righteousness are his. And so as he suffers and dies, he doesn't suffer and die as one who's having to make up for his own suffering or his own sin. That's a lot different than you and I. In fact, Paul makes this clear in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. Paul makes it clear, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin 
so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. God made Jesus, who is completely holy and righteous, by nature to be sin so that we could be made righteous. God imputes our sin to Him and our righteousness or His righteousness to us. And so the perfect, holy, righteous one suffers and dies one sufficient death. If that's you and me, imagine what that means. If we were to die the death that we deserve to die, even that wouldn't make up for our sin. Because even in that moment of death, we would still be sinful, rebellious, and opposed to God. There's nothing we could do. If every day of our life we offered sacrifices and... and, and and put an animal in our place and, 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 and shed its blood on behalf of our sin or to, to cleanse us of our sin. If, if, if we did that every day. If we came and we offered sacrifices of thanksgiving and gratitude. If we, if, if we came and offered uh, our whole life, the, the best we have to offer is still filthy rags, Isaiah tells us. Even the best thing we do is shot through with our sin. So there's no hope for us to do this. We would always be required to suffer some more because even in the most righteous act we can commit on our own, we would still be sinful and that would be deserving of of God's condemnation and wrath. But he doesn't need to endlessly hang on the cross. Jesus doesn't need to endlessly endure God's wrath because he, the holy, perfect Righteous one, the Holy One of God, sufficiently satisfied, sufficiently atoned, and in so doing, He ended His own suffering. His death, His one sufficient death, is sufficient to atone for all our sin. A complete atoning, a complete covering, a complete purifying. The Word tells us that it. it, it in, 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 in doing it, God separates us from our sin as far as the east is from the west. This is why when John the Baptist saw him, John, John records in his gospel, John the Baptist identifies him this way. John one twenty nine. it says, The next day he saw Jesus, that's John the Baptist, he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Because Jesus' death wasn't going to partially take away our sin. We're going to take some of it and we have to deal with the rest of it. It was going to take away the whole sin. His one death is God's one solution for us. Every other sacrifice ever offered was a type and shadow that found its substance and fulfillment in Christ's death on our behalf. I should note that we're not universalists here. We don't teach that we believe that's heretical we believe that the bible's teaching on god's judgment and condemnation of sin is is we, we we believe that as much as we believe god's teaching on salvation in christ and that's why as as the many times it's referred to uh in many times as it's referred to john doesn't just speak of the sin of the whole world 
It is the one solution for the whole world. But it's actually going to effectually atone for the sins of his people. That's why John writes in John chapter 10, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I, I know my own, my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay my life down for the sheep. He's not dying for people who are going to end up in hell. His, his, his death is sufficient to atone for the sins of his people. Only those who place their faith in Jesus, or more specifically as this passage shows, only those who are his sheep, who he knows and those who know him, are blessed by the sufficiency of his death. But it is sufficient to deal with every one of our sins. Every ounce of our active sinning and every ounce of our being sinners. Think about that. The reason we will always suffer if left to sacrifice on our own is because not only do we act in sin, but we are intrinsically sinful. By very nature. So this, if, if, if this is you, you don't need to continue to crucify Christ on your behalf. He's done that work. Trust it. If this is you and you've trusted in Christ, you're one of his sheep, you know him and he knows you, you don't need to add to his work with your own sacrifice. You don't need to continue to, to, to wallow around in guilt and regret, although we shouldn't be praising the fact that we're still struggling with sin. But we don't have to hang our heads down as if we're hopeless. Your wallowing, your penance that we tend to try to pay, the days of beating ourselves up a little bit because we sin, they don't add to his forgiveness or the sufficiency of his work. You just need to trust in his work. If it's not you and you've never trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin, then you don't need to do anything special. If you're sitting in here listening to this and you're thinking, what in the world? Like, I've never trusted Christ. I've always been trying to, okay, I thought he did something, but I felt like I had to add something to it. Never really trusted him. You don't need to do something special. You don't need to do something that we've not done. You just need to trust him. The work of God is to believe in him whom he has Sent. We place our faith in Him and His sufficient sacrifice. Jesus' one death was completely sufficient. So the cross was left empty. Sufficient to end His own suffering. Sufficient to atone for our sins. Sufficient to satisfy God's wrath completely. Paul tells us in Romans 1, 8, 1 through 3, There is therefore now no condemnation. No condemnation. Do you believe that? Do you, do you really believe that? For those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. We couldn't do it. The law couldn't do it because the law was weakened by our flesh. But Jesus fulfilled the law. 
In fact, you go back to the story we just read. He's fulfilling the scriptures. He's doing everything that the scripture required of him and expected of him. He's doing it all. He did what we couldn't do. And because he did in Christ, we are no longer objects of God's wrath. In Christ, as hard as this is to believe, the Father never frowns on you. You're no longer an object of his anger or in any way a recipient of his condemnation. The hardships you face are not him getting even with you or making you pay just a little bit. There is therefore now no condemnation. We're objects and beneficiaries of his grace. We're recipients of his grace being lavished upon us, bestowed upon us without, without, without any reservation. Sufficient. His death was sufficient to satisfy God's wrath completely. So that now we have received every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm. So that now, in Christ, we have been given everything we need for life and godliness. This sacrifice that Jesus made is sufficient to be made once and for all. I jumped away from it, but I just want you to, I want you to see why it's so important and from the text where I draw this. You go back to John, and you look at verse 28. It says, After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, To fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it on his, to his mouth. And Jesus had received the sour wine. He said, It is finished. He bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. This sacrifice of Jesus is sufficient to be made once for all time. It is finished. So John is clear. Jesus didn't die because the crucifixion took him. Jesus didn't die as a result of being crucified. Jesus didn't die because he was shoved through with a spear. Jesus was dead before they came to break his legs. Jesus died because he was finished doing the work of redemption. He was finished paying the price. His death, once and for all, was it was time for it to occur, and he gave up his spirit. He willingly died. And sufficient to happen once and for all. This is why the writer of Hebrews says, Hebrews 7, 26 through 27, for it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy. Remember, he's the Holy One of God. Innocent, he's never sinned. Unstained, separated from sinners and and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily. First for his own sins and then for those of the people. Since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. The priests would have had to offer sacrifices daily. We would have had to offer sacrifices daily. And yet they were never sufficient. Because the next day they had to be made again. And the next day they'd have to be made again. And the next day they'd have to be made again. And even in the making of them, we're accruing sin and the need for sacrifice. Hebrews 10, 12 through 14, But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin, you think about that. 
all the sins of the past and all the sins of the future paid for in that one moment. God imputed to him the sins of all of his people in that one moment so that we, over the course of time, could have his righteousness imputed to us. And when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. He has brought us to completion, those who are consistently and regularly now being made holy. Jesus' one completely sufficient death for sin ended his suffering, sufficiently atoned for our sin, completely satisfied God's wrath on our behalf. And he was able to do it in one sufficient sacrifice. So rather than continuing to work to atone for our sin as he waits on that day of his return, he's now sitting as our mediator, representing us to the Father as the book of Hebrews tells us. Not not paying for our sin, but saying, this one's mine. He belongs to me. His sin is taken care of. It's atoned for. Your wrath is not necessary. Give Him your grace. So, brothers and sisters, this whole night... It's a time to consider the death of Jesus and what it's about. But really, I just hope it will be a night for us to just rest in the sacrifice that was made on our behalf. <clears throat> that, I think, as I consider the struggles of these last couple of years and I consider the difficulties we face as a people living even now in a, in a place that's still accepting of our Christianity and still think it's one of the hardest things for us to rest in. I think it's at the bottom of the reasons we don't rejoice. I think it's at the bottom of, of, of why we, we sometimes wonder where God is and what God's doing. I think it's at the bottom of many of our emotional and e- even spiritual struggles. That somewhere, somehow, we are not resting in the fact that Jesus Christ paid it all. Every ounce. He's done it all. We can rest. And even as we get up to live in response to that, it's from a position of rest. Not earning, not working, of being given a gift. And so let's let's do that. Let's rest in Him. Let's trust Him. Let's lean into His sacrifice. So that every day from here on out, it's just about our worship. Seeking to live to enjoy His glory. Let's pray.